This is Channel 253. In this episode of Crossing Division, we let everyone we know um, be counted and everyone who's eligible cast their ballot and vote to keep our democracy and at least the opportunity for becoming the kind of true multiracial democracy we've always aspired to, um, but have yet to create. Channel 253 is a member-supported podcast network. I'm producer Doug Mackey, and I'm asking you to become a member and show your support. Go to channel253.com slash membership to join. Thank you. Hi, this is Evelyn Lopez. Today on Crossing Division, we are talking with Kamal Chegi about the census. You all will recall the census, one of the other trillion things that is a big deal in 2020. Um, So we are going to talk in detail about the census and find out um, where things are at, how it's going, and, and sort of how things are breaking. So, Kamal, welcome, welcome. Thanks for having me, Avalon. Sure. So, uh, you are the director of the Washington Census Alliance. Start by telling me what that is and what your mission is. The Washington Census Alliance is a coalition of uh, over 90 organizations of color and tribes in Washington state that started conversations um, back in 2018 when a few discrete things were um, starting to come to light around the way the Trump administration was planning to um, um, manipulate and create uh, essentially count suppression, very similar to vote suppression, Mm -hmm. first with gutting the Census Bureau, then with talk of bringing a uh, citizenship question and um, creating a situation where both uh, Indian country um, and reservations would have a hard time because they wouldn't have the, the funding for, for outreach and also uh, immigrants and people of color um, were going to be more skeptical about filling out the census in a way that would create uh, underrepresentation um, when it comes to how uh, elected uh, seats and uh, districts are drawn but also um, a uh, decreased funding because so much uh, federal and state funding formulas use population counts in the census tracts. And here, you know, we find ourselves in uh, 2020 when everything that uh, could go wrong, um, you know, certainly has gone wrong and and not by uh, accident. Um, I think a lot of the confusion that people have about the census is uh, a feature for um, some people and uh, their strategies to um, kind of continue count suppression for their own political goals. So that's yeah. um, how who we are and uh, how we came together and a little bit about, um, you know, how we're thinking about the moment we find ourselves in. So um, let me, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I sort of look at the census as um, two things, kind of it's a baseline. You know, it's it's baseline data necessary for so much of what the federal government does, including determining how many representatives we get in the House of Representatives per state. Um, so every 10 years, we reset that baseline of where is our population located. Um, but there must be other things that that data is used for, too. And, you know, maybe more esoteric things that I'm that I'm not that aware of. Um, tell me some of the things that the census numbers play into. Uh, a lot. 
And the biggest things are exactly where you're talking about. How many congressional seats are apportioned to every state? So uh, there's the same um, amount and they just uh, shift around based on population um, in, in the House. And a lot of people don't track this, but the amount of uh, congressional seats each state gets is also the electoral college points that each state will have. Um, those are allocated by uh, house seats. So for Washington state, it's 10 and our population hasn't changed enough relative to others that we were you know, anywhere uh, close to gaining or losing uh, a seat. So that's political representation. The other thing that we talk about is uh, funding and economic development. So how the government decides to prioritize uh, its investments and structure investments um, is based on population count. But then a lot of nonprofit organizations will use uh, population data to um, decide like how they're going to structure their programs. And so when you're looking at things like even down to how a future vaccine for COVID-19 will be distributed, they're gonna use population counts. How many people are in this area? How many vaccines do we need to produce? And how many can we expect to be distributing to that mm -hmm. area? Um, and businesses use them as well to figure out where they're going to um, invest. And that's where you know some people have uh, Whole Foods um, and near near their neighborhoods. You know, um, they're trying to figure out uh, how many people uh, there are and, and you know where Cracker Barrels and um, uh, Paneras are are. So you know, it's the baseline for um, and the foundation for not just our democracy, but um, also uh, our economy. And one of the reasons that we see disparities now, people might wonder, well, how would you even, you know, structure uh, or like engineer count suppression? Why is it, you know, that uh, people of color tend to be undercounted? And it's because it's, uh, you know, at the foundation of the country, the census clause in the constitution is the only place that acknowledges um, the presence of slavery in the United States when the constitution was written. That's where you get the three-fifths clause. Um, it was about the census uh, that was to come and how people would be counted. And it's also, the only, you know, one of the only places that uh, acknowledges native genocide. In the census clause, it, uh, originally talked about excluding, um, quote unquote, Indians not taxed. And what we experience now are the echoes of that, where um, because uh, there is, let's say, if you look at rural Washington or rural areas, there's currently like an undercount in, in Washington state, lower self-response in rural areas um, in what's now the first online census. Well, CenturyLink and um, Comcast these big corporations have been uh, allowed to not be as regulated as they should be. So they don't invest in places where there isn't a huge population or densely populated rural America. And then when it comes to account, you know, there's lower self-response and it creates a kind of like doom loop where like, well, you know, CenturyLink and, and Comcast may not invest in rural broadband again. And those places may not have the representation they need to have politicians that will hold big corporations like that accountable for creating equity and internet access. And if you are, well, you know, on the north end of Tacoma, you got like a 
big five bedroom house by the water, mm-hmm. uh, high income. You have a real clean mailbox. Yeah, like a li- real clear mailbox. It's very easy for you to get your mail, your pre-approved credit cards, put those to the side, fill out your ballot, turn in your census. Mm-hmm. If you are, you know, maybe um, in a low income neighborhood like in Lakewood, maybe you're in a mobile home, you don't have a clear mailbox and some of the mail you're getting are bills that you might have to wait until payday to pay and you're putting those off to the side, you might not get uh, counted and, um, you know, not have the resource and it creates that loop. And that's one of the things that we're trying to um, disrupt and, and intervene on so we can have a positive feedback loop uh, of participation. And how do you do that? What was your strategy in terms of how do you disrupt and intervene so that um, folks who have traditionally been overlooked or undercounted this time um, get accurately counted? And the biggest thing was starting early, you know, just like um, uh, election season where people aren't very... um, excited to see uh, folks that only come every four years in the last 90 days before an election, it's, it's too late if you start late in the game. One of the things that um, we did early, we did really early was um, those organizations got together in 2018 when they started seeing the warning signs and started organizing. Um, and they pushed the legislature to allocate uh, $15 million in funding um, to do outreach because at the time, um, um, people might not remember, there was a house speaker, uh, his name was Paul Ryan, uh, he was like a funny guy from Wisconsin, and um, majority leader McConnell, they were, um, you know, slashing um, spending, including for the Census Bureau. And so that first intervention of the state responding where the federal government was failing was one of the biggest. The second was, um, it was uh, an RP where uh, communities called these organizations and tribes got funding to do uh, outreach using trusted relationships because so many people um, have distrust of uh, the federal government going back to you know the the founding of the of the country but also um, just what's happened in the last twenty years where there's been a huge failure at the um, uh, highest positions um, in government but also in business. So when people are thinking about the census and their information, they're highly skeptical because they see Facebook every day in the news um, breaching their privacy or the big uh, credit card companies. And then we did relational organizing where instead of, you know, relying on a government employee to come talk to you about the census as an abstract thing, um, there were uh, lots of like grandmas and aunties uh, talking about like why you need to complete the census, that it's short, that your information is safe, it doesn't go to ICE or any other law enforcement, and it actually helps uh, the community. Um, mm-hmm. That delivered the message. So when you look at Washington State, the result was we were among the bottom half of states in self-response in 2010, which was still mm-hmm. like, it was right there on the median. I think we were number 26 um, in the country, and it made sure that like we still got a new congressional seat, which allowed for the first um, uh, woman of color to uh, be elected to uh, Congress. And now, you know, there's that result. Now, um, at one point we were third in uh, the nation um, a couple of weeks ago and have been fluctuating around the top 10. 
So we know that organizing works, that relational organizing works, and that doing that work uh, very early on to both inoculate people from the massive misinformation campaigns, sometimes the ones that are coming directly from the White House, um, is important so that when they hear those things, they know, okay, they're trying to get me to not participate in the census because they'd actually like um, resources yeah. and representation to be hoarded by rich enclaves rather than to come to communities like mine. So they get inoculated mm -hmm. for misinformation. And then they also are um, enabled with kind of like an easy to pass on message. The census is important for representation and funding. Your information is safe. It doesn't go to law enforcement or ICE. And they can echo that um, um, organically in everyday conversations when you know their cousin or something says like, I got this thing in the mail. I don't know what it means. I don't know if I'm going yeah. to do it. Yeah, well, let me ask you, there was a um, early on and kind of, you know, percolating through um, last year, this idea that, that the administration, the federal administration was going to include a citizenship question on the census, which I, I don't know what that would be. I don't know if it would be, are you a citizen um, or what it would be, but um, tell us a little bit about the havoc that that created. I know it was, um, you know, it went it to a lawsuit and was, uh, you know, challenged in court and dealt with in court. But I felt that just having that discussion and having that in the news had the potential for a real chilling effect because, you know, we have no trust currently in our federal government. So, you know, you know, hearing that there's going to be a citizenship question and then even hearing later, well, the courts say, no, they can't ask it. I, I just think that that grain of fear has been planted. Absolutely. And people have to remember, you know, sometimes the census can seem um, boring and, uh, you know, like it's, you know, part of the minutia of just government, but it, it's really not. I mean, if um, there are these plans uh, uh, in place and a lot of uh, money and effort going towards engineering uh, count suppression. Um, it's it's because it's it's worth uh, it's worth it for those uh, interests, and it is has been a decades long effort, um, particularly uh, by the right, um, to uh, ensure that um, the voting power of what is now mostly a um, white base uh, continues to, to have that. And not only is it malicious, it's also, um, you know, it, this administration in particular is doing it in the most open and, and uh, dumb way possible. Mm -hmm. So to bring people back, in 2018, uh, Donald Trump was kind of throwing things out there about there needs to be a citizenship question and doing his uh, regular shtick of um, anti-immigrant xenophobia um, to try and, um, you know, not allow just working people to see the ransacking that was going on. And one of the ways was they knew that if they put a citizenship question on the census uh, survey, there would be an undercount among uh, immigrants and, uh, generally, uh, but uh, Latinos in particular. And there was um, one of their go-to uh, operatives for uh, gerrymandering um, uh, that they did in 2010 um, 
was also the one that was um, had figured out and calculated uh, just how this would both depress um, political representation um, in uh, more diverse areas and uh, as a consequence, increase representation and political power for uh, the Republican voting base that is almost 90% white. Mm-hmm. Um, and unfortunately that um, uh, he passed and his daughter who does not share a lot of uh, his politics was um, able to find out like where these plans were. And uh, that is what got uh, eventually um, John Roberts on the Supreme Court, um, it seems clear now, to shift his uh, decision and rule against the implementation of a citizenship question. If people read that ruling, um, it's so ham-fisted and so clear that um, not only were four uh, justices, um, Republican-appointed justices, ready to go along with the administration lying about the need to have a citizenship question. The reason they were giving at the time was uh, that it would um, help them enforce the Voting Rights Act um, more fervently. Um, this was uh, when Jeff Sessions was Attorney General. Um, not only were they, li- you know, were the justices okay with being lied to, um, but that they would undermine what is plainly in the Constitution and in the Fourteenth uh, Amendment that um, this is uh, for all people. The so that didn't allow for the citizenship question to be implemented there, and almost immediately the. Attorney General Bill Barr and Trump went to the Rose Garden to engineer a new way that they would try to get to the same result, which was to gather citizenship data from other agencies and then kind of like with a plans for retroactively um, trying to like trying to remove undocumented people from the count almost, you know, what is 12 million people in um, the the country. So mm-hmm. The reason that they're doing this is there's 10 years of political power to be gained. And when you're looking at um, a set of interests like Coke Industries that is really on the back foot and more desperate um, each year to try and maintain a hold on on power, um, that's why they're going to the mat for these things. It's not because, you know, their interests are so... Um, strong, but in fact that they're getting weaker and weaker. And as that happens, they're not just fine with voter suppression. They're not just fine with a little gerrymandering here and there. They're kind of, you know, swinging uh, haymakers and swinging for the fences to do anything that they can. Um, you know, very much like when your chips are down, like they're betting on riskier and riskier plays to try and suppress political power for working class communities of color um, yeah. and hold on to um, minority power in the way they have these past few years. Yeah, I, I think that makes a lot of sense. You know, we've seen a lot of, um, I've seen a lot of stories over the last um, five to 10 years looking at population trends and the idea that um, I think it actually may be almost the case now, but it, it will so shortly be the case that, um, you know, the white uh, citizen the white population will not be the majority population anymore. It's not that any one other racial group will be the majority, but rather the non-white population compared to the white population will be the majority. And I think that that 
um, creates absolute panic in a lot of um, these actors and does cause them to, as you say, you know, instead of uh, um, take a subtle strategic approach, they just sort of will do anything to try to keep that, that power differential. And there's not a lot of ways you can do it, frankly. I mean, the birth birth data and, um, you know, population is just changing. It's, it's not going to change. So everything they do is just a desperate attempt to ward off the inevitable change that's coming. Yeah. And it's really to try to revert um, the country's institutions back to when they weren't a multiracial democracy. Yeah. So for the Washington Census Alliance, we're often talking about that one, th- that there are culprits. You know, it's not an accident that communities of color are um, the victims of count suppression or voter suppression. There are people who have to gain from that and they're mm-hmm. invested um, in it. And for, you know, the entire history of the United States, maybe until uh, the Voting Rights Act um, in uh, 1965 was not a democracy for all, all uh, people of color, especially working class people of color in the country. And that was the, um, those federal protections were the first time where um, we could begin to say that this was a country, um, a real democracy um, for uh, everyone. And that started to become um, the backlash to that was fierce. And so the reason that we even do a uh, person to person count is because um, in the 90s, there was an effort to move to statistical modeling and using administrative data. And this is what like every other developed country in the world does. Uh, In Norway, in Finland, in Japan, there is not a individual count of people, but because it would be more accurate to have that as the basis for population data. And it's what the Census Bureau does in other years. It's called the American Community Survey. that produces really uh, accurate population data. But in the 90s, when there was this move by the Clinton administration to move towards more of um, that statistical modeling model, knowing that if you try to do a hand cut, you're eventually going to come into these uh, structural um, um, b- these structural barriers, the Supreme Court then still, uh, you know, right now when we're at the prospect of a 6-3 court, it was still a conservative court um, ruled, you know, that the original reading of the text and enumeration is a, a physical, you know, uh, count. Mm-hmm. And they did that knowing that the evidence um, shows that there's an undercount of people of color when you try to enumerate in that way. Um, and that is, there's a direct line between a, you know, non um majoritarian institution like the Supreme Court ruling um, towards that in favor of a uh, political coalition on the right that benefits from that and in a way that preserves uh, white um, political power um, disproportionately. There's a through line between that and the citizenship question case and an administration that is willing to do everything um, going down to being as petty as trying to cut a month um, of response time um, to the census. Um, And that's because for 
the majority of the country, for most of the country, that was the way things were. Um, and there, wa there was not a um, multiracial democracy. And the kind of ruptures that we're seeing in all of our institutions, including things as basic as trying to figure out how many people are there in the United States, who are our neighbors, and what are our commitments to them politically and economically, something as simple as that um, is having to reconcile with uh, the sort of racist and, um, you know, uh, uh, past and the way that it's built on on a kind of uh, caste structure. So the most clear example is even as with uh, being on panels with Census Bureau um, staff, they'd have a really hard time addressing basic things like, uh, you know, you'd have someone ask from like the international district, uh, hey, how do we know our information is safe? And I, we would all know that the information is safe and how secure Census Bureau is. But to put that in context of someone who uh, has um, in their um, lifetime parents or grandparents who were around for Japanese internment that abused uh, census data, right. they did not have the language to talk about how the institution had changed and learned mm -hmm. from that and was becoming a, you know, um, an institution that had learned from that. In fact, but for people of color who are doing that work, you know, for me, for example, I'd be able to answer that and reassure people that was uh, a clear abuse. And it was the reason that we first got um, Title 10 protections for Census Bureau data. It's the reason, in fact, that abuse is the reason that today um, the Trump administration can't get its hands on um, individual census mm -hmm. uh, data. And um, that just isn't something that our institutions have built the muscle memory for. And I think it's, you know, people who work in education or other places, they're seeing those same things too, where um, a lot of these discussions are being had for the first time. And a lot of these institutions are learning to be institutions inside of a multiracial democracy for the first time. Yeah. Let me stop you there. We're going to take a short break. And then when we come back, I want to talk about how um, COVID-19 came into play and how the count uh, process has been affected by that. Hello, this is producer Doug Mackey of Channel 253. The worst earthquake I've been in was the 2001 Nisqually quake. What I remember most about that day was watching the building shake, feeling the ground beneath me move, and watching everyone around me diving for cover. I'll never forget that experience. But it's been almost 20 years since then, and we all need to build muscle memory so that in the next earthquake, we don't panic and run out the door or something and get hit by falling debris. So do it for real with the Great Washington Shakeout on October 15th at 10.15 a.m. Plan ahead. Will your drill be at home, work, or elsewhere? Wherever you are, everyone in the state is encouraged to take a minute to drop, cover, and hold on, just like you would in a real earthquake. Again, the shakeout is scheduled for 10.15 a.m. on October 15th. Got that? 10.15 on 10.15. Easy to remember. You can learn more and get earthquake preparedness tips at shakeout.org slash Washington. Thank you to the Great Washington Shakeout for sponsoring this episode of Channel 253. 
we're back. Hey, before I continue talking with Kamau about the census, I want to say if you are not a member of Channel 253, please consider joining us. It is very, very reasonably priced at $4 a month or $40 a year. You get access to, of course, our podcast, which you can also get if you're not a member. But we have started a few special podcasts, including Doug's um, Off the Record podcast. And um, when life starts back again, we will open up with more events as we usually do. Uh, it's a way that you can support your community and you support sort of our, um, I won't call it journalism. It's not really journalism. It's more community conversations about what is important in Tacoma and Pierce County. And I think that's worthy of your support. So please consider becoming a member. Um, so come out, tell me about... You know, you're going along, you have your plans, you have your goals, you have your community partners to do uh, in-person outreach. And it's working really well with sort of the, you know, the pre-count feedback. And then uh, pandemic hits. And, and how, did, how did that sort of change the plan for gathering data in Washington? Um, it was uh, really... Uh, disruptive, particularly because uh, April 1st was census day and was <laughs> going to be um, uh, a day where there were major events and um, hopefully from that a lot of media coverage that was going to be really positive about why the census is important to be counted. Um, the Pierce County Complete Count Committee had been um, planning uh, a whole host of, um, of things and uh, that was right around when it got shut down. I remember that for us, we were having our big yearly convening of our 90 um, organizations. Um, the weekend that the first COVID-19 uh, case was found for uh, Pierce County, and that was the last uh, event um, that, that took place, that was back in March. And particularly because we were trying to replace, we we're trying to sort of um, replace the uh, distrust that people had between them and a federal government that seemed both abstract and like somewhat malevolent, um, like clearly was not a great source of, of trust um, given, you know, who the president uh, is and what his message has been about who counts uh, in America. So the literal um, message of uh, who was going to count was going to be difficult. And we're trying to replace that with relationships that people already trusted. You know, the um, clerics and, um, you know, faith leaders and pastors, um, people's uh, neighbors, people's community leaders in a setting they already understood, explaining to them why their information was safe, how, um, you know, getting a complete count was not just important to them individually, because at the end of the day, you know, when you complete the census, it's gathering up, uh, you're contributing individual data to create um, statistical data for your neighborhood. And so mm -hmm. there's a sense in which it's uh, your responsibility and um, solidaristic for you to be counted because that participation is what's going to impact what the roads look like, what the schools are like, what um, the local economy is like, and not being able to have those events um, and have person-to-person um, -person conversations 
was uh, made it really tough to get that message um, across uh, as we needed to sort of pivot to digital. At the end of the day, we still ended up talking to over 22,000 households through about 700 trusted messengers uh, across uh, more than 26 counties in the state. Um, and those conversations just happened to happen on Zoom and Instagram lives and um, lots, uh, lots of other sort of innovative ways. We um, had a lot of uh, Facebook um, um, and digital ads. So um, people got to see in those advertisements, uh, local community leaders. Um, unfortunately, there were a lot of billboards and posters around, but I'm not sure how many people got to see. But um, it was certainly a huge pivot. And for the Census Bureau in particular, this is where it gets to kind of how the crisis, the COVID-19 crisis was landed on already inequitable ground. One of the first things we started to see was uh, huge um, disparities in reservations and in Washington's Indian country. And that was because a lot of sovereign tribes were um, shutting down. Um, their uh, um, their own sort of uh, board is not allowing you know non-members to uh, come in to try and get a hold of the pandemic and it was um, ravaging um, um, those those communities in particular and the Latino community as well as a lot of uh, working class people of color were in jobs that were um, considered essential work and they could not uh, leave and so the pandemic was hitting the Latino population in central Washington really hard. It was hitting Washington's Indian country really hard, um, which also made it hard for there to be a complete count. And knowing that this count was going to impart, contribute, uh, was going to impart, inform how vaccines would be distributed really had the potential of kind of um, uh, catalyzing that kind of doom loop I had talked about earlier, where the communities that need a complete count the most are the ones most at risk of not having the count and most at risk of being harmed by there being uh, a low count. While the communities that you know may be uh, fine because you're in Sammamish, you're working from home uh, in your uh, you know uh, suburban house or, or or home office or whatever, um, you're not particularly uh, at risk of contracting it, and 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 it is sort of your neighborhood as much relative to others. Um, but uh, a lot of the kind of work that we had done before to ensure that there was funding for particular for, for tribes and for organizations of color to do that outreach ended up becoming um, very helpful in a way that other states that um, did not or could not take uh, the same sort of early preventative um, uh, or preventative measures um, were, were harmed. And obviously the deadline ended up having to be extended all the way to October um, 31st, gave an opportunity for the Trump administration to try to mess with that um, as well. But as early as Friday, we got the final court ruling that people will still be able to complete the census um, at the end of October. So the pandemic was a, was a huge challenge. Was there, um, was there any in-person counting or did you did everything switch over to um, digital platforms and sort of not in-person remote activity? There was still uh, in-person. So people may have seen Census uh, Bureau um, uh, agents, um, you know, in neighborhoods doing enumeration. 
but mm-hmm. um, that was happening in, you know, um, mostly metropolitan neighborhoods where recruiting was easier for the Census Bureau. And it was not happening as much in, you know, um, certain tribes, say like the, the Colville, uh, when, when they were trying to make sure that the uh, pandemic was under control, Census Bureau agents wouldn't be allowed to come in, um, obviously because they, the uh, tribes were not trying to um, incur, you know, any sort of risk. The um, thing that was helpful was that it was online, but again, that ended up landing on a kind of playing field that was already unequal, where if you're in a west side metropolitan area, yeah, you have like great broadband, or maybe you're in King County and you benefited from King County kind of taking um, measures to make um, internet uh, accessible during the pandemic. But if you're in uh, the peninsula or rural Washington, you had a hard time um, sometimes getting on the internet, especially with increased use. Um, maybe you're a working class person, you know, you can only afford so much data in, in a month. This might not be, you know, the, the top priority. And so in that way, much of it was not so much the the pandemic as much as the way the pandemic um, made worse and exploded inequalities that were already uh, present. And even now, people can go to WeCountWashington.org, look at the self-response uh, map, and you'll see the big disparities are um, between urban and and rural, but even within that, you'll have pockets, say, in like Tequila that are experiencing a lower account. And almost always it's a proxy for median income and um, uh, and access to the internet. So if anything is to happen after the census and after a complete count, it is making sure that, uh, you know, broadband um, is, is a right and that we address the um, gross uh, income and wealth inequality that we have here uh, in Washington state. Mm-hmm. So what are the efforts of the Alliance now if you've got this month still that uh, people can um, answer the census questions and be counted? Um, is there um, increased messaging or, or you know, one final push to try to get everyone um, that you might've missed? Yes, um, we are uh, continuing to have uh, sites like WeCountWashington.org uh, up so that if you, um, you know, want to reach out to friends and you kind of want to know, well, what's the best messaging? How do I answer some frequently asked questions? People will still be able to go uh, on that site through October 31st. One of the kind of odd things was um, the period that we were funded for census outreach was on Washington State's like fiscal calendar. And uh, that meant that all our outreach had to be done by uh, June. Um, And so there were some things like advertising was like placed ahead of time, but um, that's, you know, uh, a little tough. The biggest thing though, is to make sure that we're intervening for a lot of the confusion that was created between the court cases about whether September 30th or October 30th or, or October 5th would be the deadline. The most important thing people need to know is that is to complete the census today and to reach out to everyone they know to complete the census. And um, if you need any um, information um, or help, you can go to weekoutwashington.org or text census or CENSO to 332020. 
And anybody who does that is going to get kind of um, reminders that, that we're going to help. But broadly, we're trying to also materialize the representation and equitable funding that's supposed to come from a complete count because we know that the census won't um, elect uh, better leaders that might create more broadband equity or, or um, more economic flourishing in communities that haven't had that opportunity. And so, um, you know, with our other uh, sister organizations and our C4 sister organizations, we're working to um, increase participation um, in elections and get out the vote. We're also we're looking towards redistricting um, and um, that sort of uh, work, making sure that our redistricting commission is uh, diverse and also committed to the um, priorities of communities of color, like not having legislative districts split tribes and dilute their vote. Um, and looking at things like ranked choice voting, um, as well as ways that uh, communities of color in places that are um, have really large like white populations in Washington state, you know, say that's almost 70 or so percent uh, white. It's not always easy for there to be representation for communities of color in um, elected bodies. And so um, ranked choice voting is one way that we could do that as well as immigrant rights and racial justice, um, which is one way that we can start having a equal baseline and using, um, making sure that everybody uh, counts in our justice system and also um, in the way that immigrants and refugees uh, are uh, treated uh, in this country. Well, let's talk about the redistricting. So this, this is something I don't know that people who um, you know would be listening to this know about this, but in Washington state, we actually have, I think, a very good, um, reasonably open system in terms of our redistricting. And what that means is once the census numbers are complete, the state will um, create or call up a redistricting commission, which only comes into existence every 10 years. And the redistricting commission will then work to look at all of our legislative seats and make sure that they're properly apportioned so that um, there's, you know, reasonable equity between, um, you know, someone who lives in, let's say, a very rural area um, in eastern Washington should be have the same level of representation as someone who lives inside um, the most urban part of Seattle. And you do that by making sure that you have approximately the same number of people in each of those districts. And that then can change the um, parameters of the district as you redraw those lines to make sure that they cover equal um, amounts of people. And that's where, you know, when you hear the term gerrymandering, a lot of mischief comes into the system. And I will say not so much in Washington state, but in gerrymandering, you have people redrawing the lines to make it more likely that you get a Republican um, representative or a Democratic representative. And then in, in Washington, having a, um, a commission that's, you know, has both the Democrats and Republicans on it is supposed to do some prevention against the gerrymandering, but I don't know that they've been very sensitive in the past about the idea, as you've mentioned, where you have um, some areas that are, uh, let's say, tribal areas that could be split among districts. So for example, like the Puyallup tribe, um, you know, I'm not sure exactly what their geographic boundaries are, but I doubt that it's all within the 
it's not all within the 27th district and it's not all within the mm-hmm. 29th either. Um, and the other piece is that we now have, um, especially I, I'm aware of this over in sort of the, the Yakima and Tri-Cities area, we have some districts that are really majority non-white, especially majority Latino. And um, how those districts are drawn, it will have a consequence in terms of who ends up in the state legislature. So what is the alliance um, trying to do in terms of making sure that the redistricting commission that's set up really serves the needs of all of the people of Washington um, rather than, you know, people who have been in power in certain areas? Absolutely. Um, So I think like the census, redistricting is one of those words that um, leads people to think it's a very uh, banal and bureaucratic process when, in fact, it carries a lot of high stakes um, and shapes are the political future um, and terrain uh, on which all of the most important issues um, people uh, think about are, are fought on. And um, it's not going to impact who's going to be making those decisions, not just next, you know, for the next few years, but when things um, have radically changed more after the pandemic, um, after we get through this recession in 28 and 29. And for um, us, when we look at the way that our redistricting commission is structured right now, it's bipartisan, not necessarily nonpartisan. And what that means is oftentimes uh, the appointees um, appointed by the Republican leaders in the legislature and the Democratic leaders in the legislature uh, may not uh, gerrymander to the uh, extent of, say, like a, a North Carolina or a Wisconsin, um, where a single party can just exercise wholly on its own political interest. But it does mean that it's often trench warfare, neighborhood by neighborhood, census tract by census tract, trying to maximize um, the interests of the two political parties and the kind of um, uh, guardrails being their own um, countervailing uh, interests and can lead to a lot of insider dealing that leaves many communities behind because most of us uh, really don't agree with one of the two political parties 100%. If anything, we're part of the um, coalitions of one or the other, mostly because we're afraid of what the the other side can do. And we feel like, well, this party might be the only vehicle for our issues. And where we want to go um, is to eventually have a citizen commission, much like California, where everyday working people apply, they get on the commission, and they have public hearings and can actually have the interests of um, the working people of Washington State first. Until then, what we're going to try to do is make sure that the appointments that the Republican leaders and Democratic leaders make are diverse. In the entire history of Washington state, um, there's never been a woman of color on the commission. Uh, There's never been a person of color on the commission. Um, And only in a few instances have there been women at all on the commission. And even then it's often uh, four appointed white men selecting a woman to be the nonpartisan or or, sorry, the non-voting chair. So even then, like when we're looking at the 2010 commission, there was one uh, white woman who was there and she didn't get a vote. Um, And uh, of course, the leaders in the legislature like it because they get uh, uh, a good guarantee. They can tell the appointees like, hey, this this is what what to do. This is what our interests are. Um, But I'm not sure everyday people like it. 
we're going to try to make sure that we get nominations from the community. So people right now can go to surveymonkey.com uh, backslash uh, R um, backslash our redistricting commission um, recommendations and send in um, a leader, uh, you know, person of woman of color that you'd like to see on the, on the commission um, um, uh, there um, so we can have uh, a commission that um, reflects the diversity of the state, but also one that reflects the priorities of the state. And starting with, um, you know, uh, in this moment of, of uh, reckoning with uh, the racial inequities that, that we have. We want districts that don't dilute the votes of people of color, especially tribes, by splitting them between districts, like the way the Yakima is split, is split right now in central Washington. We also want intentional majority-minority uh, districts, uh, particularly for you know, like the Latino community in central Washington, but we also want to be careful because one of the ways that uh, the negotiations will take place in the kind of um, insider bargaining is oftentimes it's the right and Republicans that want majority minority districts, not so much because they um, just love um, uh, the cause of racial justice. They're big fans of the Voting Rights Act. They're big fans of... Um, you know, the, those districts, but because it's a way to pack voters that um, don't really uh, gel with uh, a lot of their agenda for austerity or um, the ways in which they haven't been very supportive of things like um, the Black Lives Matter movement and the modern civil rights movement. Um, so they've actually taken advantage in places like Georgia and North Carolina, where they'll gerrymander districts uh, by creating majority minority districts that are majority minority by like 70 or 80 percent so that they can have several more districts that are, you know, um, slightly majority uh, white. At the end of the day, what we want is that people of color are 30 percent of Washington state. We should at least be 30 percent of the legislature. Um, and, uh, you know, probably more given the, how long there's been a very white legislature. But those are the things that we're, um, we're, we're focused on when it comes to redistricting and making sure that people know how to advocate for their community's uh, needs when the commission is uh, going around late uh, next year um, to uh, these town halls. But what we do know is January, um, the legislature is going to make appointments to that commission and people should be talking to their legislators and, and letting them know that um, it will be absolutely unacceptable to have uh, a commission um, next year that looks like the one in 2011 where it's uh, four old white political operatives um, who, who don't care too much about um, what the rabble have to say. Um, as much as they do uh, protecting the political interests of uh, the, the party bosses and um, the, the incumbents in the legislature. Well, that sounds, yes, absolutely. And that sounds actually pretty interesting. So um, we're about done, I think, time-wise, but tell me what should people do if they, if they haven't yet um, been counted for the census, they need to get counted this month. And what else should people be keeping their, their eyes open for and looking out for? Um, the first thing uh, is when it, when it comes to what you can do, 
people who are listening to this podcast hopefully have completed the census. If you haven't, you should go to my2020census.gov, take care of that uh, 10 minutes. Um, you can uh, probably listen to uh, an extra from um, 253 uh, podcasts uh, while you're doing it. Um, the second is... Uh, you are the most trusted messenger for ensuring that people in your life who haven't completed the census do complete the census. And uh, so we actually need a lot of posters. Uh, we need people posting um, on, on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram where people are uh, about why it's uh, good to complete the census. There's a ton of uh, repository of content um, that we have on WeCountWashington.org, videos and, and posts and others, um, collaborations with um, lots of uh, organizations. Um, but then hearing that from you is more impactful than um, any of our uh, Facebook ads or a, a poster on transit or, uh, you know, a Census Bureau agent uh, knocking on a door. So that's the first thing that you can do to make sure we have uh, an accurate um, count. And you can go to weekoutwashington.org and also see which neighborhoods are performing and maybe optimized that way. But the thing to watch for right now is um, what's going to happen in this election, because we are on the precipice of what could be a um, set of events that, um, you know, inoculates uh, the Congress, the executive branch and the judiciary from um, the popular will from the voice of the American people for uh, decades. And what I think is a scenario that's possible um, that could take place. And it starts with right now, the Trump administration is trying to fill a seat on the Supreme Court that would rule on a case on apportionment and whether or not undocumented people, the 10 or, uh, to 12 million undocumented people in Washington state can be included for the purposes of apportionment. I've talked a lot about how the count impacts uh, or suppresses the count in communities of color, but that has an effect for working class white people too. If you know, if you're in a neighborhood next to or nearby, you know, like what I was talking about, a, um, a mobile home park in uh, South Pierce County, and there's an undercount there, and you yourself might not be uh, affected, you yourself might not have been uh, scared off by um, the, the, the Trump administration's kind of fear-mongering, um, you know, be, because you're white. Well, your kids are still going to go to a school that may not get as much funding. You're going to be driving on roads that are going to wear down your tires because there's not as much funding. You're going to have representatives um, in the legislature and in Congress who may not reflect the needs of your community because of the fear-mongering. So everyone is hurt when there's a lower count and everyone is better off when all of us are counted. Um, and not to say that this effort to try and manipulate the apportionment of congressional seats by um, removing retroactively undocumented people from the complete count will be disastrous. It'll lead to a scenario where by maybe the president, um, you know, gets by on uh, 270 uh, electoral votes and uh, wins re-election this year, implements um, this rule has a 6-3 court, most of whom, you know, at least a majority of whom will now have been appointed by presidents that didn't win the popular vote. And they rule that, yes, you can remove uh, 
undocumented people from the complete count, something that we know four justices were already ready to do in 2018. And the fifth one was just mad that he got lied to. And there's a sixth on on the way who um, has nothing but fealty to uh, the Trump administration. This would mean that malapportionment less congressional seats would go to diverse states. It could mean that there's not as much of a check on a second Trump administration in 22. And it could also mean that because those House uh, seats are directly related and, and, and tied to how many electoral college points each state gets, it could further uh, exacerbate the disparity of the electoral college in 2024. And we could be, you know, that could really spell the end of uh, the American democratic experiment. And certainly the, you know, 40 or 50 years or so since the um, Civil Rights Act that we've even had the opportunity to instantiate a multiracial democracy. Um, it could lead to very um, bad places. And that's why, you know, a lot of what we've talked about with the census redistricting and uh, its impact um, are so important, even if they seem banal at first glance, it's not an accident that there's like a right-wing billionaire who is uh, the Census Bureau, who is the Secretary of Commerce overseeing um, the Census Bureau. There's a lot of uh, powerful interests behind um, count suppression and vote suppression and supported that we let everyone we know um, be counted and everyone who's eligible uh, cast their ballot and uh, vote to um, uh, keep uh, uh, our democracy and at least the opportunity for becoming the kind of true multiracial democracy um, we've uh, always aspired to, um, but have yet to create. Yeah. Um so I think we'll end with that. And I have to tell you, that's actually kind of a blood curdling scenario. I mean, it's very, never did I ever think because I was quite complacent that, that I would live through a period of time where we were literally looking at the building blocks of our democracy being dismantled the way they have been. And in such a short period of time and with such effect. And you're right. You know, the Supreme Court is a very important piece of that. And, uh, you know, you, you tell people to vote, but you also need to tell people, be aware, you know, be aware of what's going on because it's, it's uh, significant and it's frightening. Yeah. All right, Kamau, thank you so much Absolutely. for joining us today. And, you know, we, we, may, ahead. Yeah, we may have more conversations as this very interesting um, fall moves forward. Seeing who knows what's going to happen next, right? Absolutely. We should uh, talk again um, after the count, maybe uh, after the election yeah. um, and, and see where we're, where we're at and uh, where we go from here. Sounds good. All right. All right. That's it for this week's uh, Crossing Division. If you have any suggestions for other topics or feedback, you can send me an email, uh, truetacoma at gmail.com or find me on Twitter at true underscore Tacoma. Um, Thank you, Kamal. Talk to you later. Thank you. Thanks to 253. Did you know Channel 253 is member supported? I'm producer Doug Mackey, and I hope you will show your support by going to channel253.com slash membership and join. Thank you. Crossing Division is part of the Channel 253 Podcast Network. Check out our other shows. 
Nerd Farmer, Interchangeable White Ladies, We Art Tacoma, Move to Tacoma, Taco Man, Flounders B Team, Citizen Tacoma, What Say You, and Gimme the Mic. This is Channel 253.